The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Here he comes in a really great tractor. And welcome to the Doctor Who pod with Sai and Dan. Two very, very tired fellows today, because last night was SummerSlam, and we both made the decision to stay up and watch it live, which we now regret, because we're old, tired men. Dan, how's things, my friend? Where am I? Who am I? What time is it? What day is it? Um, <laughs> oh, we're, we're recording, so it must be Sunday. Brilliant. There was a like you said, there was SummerSlam last night. It was on a Saturday. Who knew? Um, yeah. Just a lot of confusion, but other than that, it was a very good show, um, and I'm yeah, I'm doing all right despite it being a been a very sad week in the uh, the Doctor Who fandom, the the Who universe, if you will. Well, yeah, this is it, and we sort of messaged briefly during the week uh, about this this topic, I suppose, this subject, and you said you wanted to say a, a, a few words. So I'm literally just going to leave you to it because you were you were a huge fan of this guy, weren't you? Yeah, um, this week saw the passing of a national treasure, really, a man who'd entertained people for for the better part of seven decades in in Bernard Cribbins. And, you know, he was known for a lot of things. He was the voice of the Wombles. Um, for generations younger than myself, he was Old Man Jack, you know, on kids' TV. But for me, he was Wilfred Mott, Donna's granddad. And had a very, very deep fondness for this character because he's just so bloody wholesome and nice and he came along at a time I, th- I think it was sorry I'm just bringing it up now he came along in 2007 um, with the Voyage of the Dam so I'd have been about 18 and then came into it more in uh, in 2008 time and I lost my granddad when I was 16 about 2005 but there was so much in that character that I saw from my granddad you know, Wilfred was never afraid to encourage Donna to do whatever she wanted to do while, you know, while other people were telling her, you know, don't bother, do the, you know, go go with the go with the herd, do the done thing. He was always there saying, no, do what you want to do, fly high, shoot for the moon sort of thing. And that was very much what, what my granddad was like. So it was kind of like nice to see a part of him or at least you know, see a part of him on on, on a character on the TV, on the TV in a show I love, but also he gave a great sort of humanity and grounding to this show about a mad alien zooming around time and space, time and space in a blue box. <laughs> you know when uh, in the stolen Earth, when he comes out and he says, "It's them aliens again." What do you want, you green swine? And he's <laughs> and he's he's attacking Daleks with a paintball gun. Which was which was his idea, by the way. Apparently, according to Russell T Davis. Yeah, uh, yeah. He said, you know, he calls him up and says, "What if I attack a dog with a paintball gun?" And he said, "Yep, Bernard, it's in." Um, and he provides latterly in tenants running the end of time some of the most emotional moments as well. Because um, I recommended you watch these um, yes. in the past week when they sat in the cafe and tenants 
obviously very upset about because he knows what's coming and you know his own death and, and Wilfred's just sort of sat there kind of helpless but then they have this touching bit later on on a spaceship where Wilf's looking out and Tennant looks at him and says I'd be proud if you were my dad because of oh. a throwaway comment that that the master had made before but sorry I'm rambling a little bit because it's just hard to cover all the different aspects of the character but when I say he grounds it it's, it's things like He's all, his first concern is always Donna. Mm. Is always her safety. It could be looking at some of the most incredible things he's ever seen, but if there's even a hint that she's in danger, she's his first concern. And when the master turns everybody into himself in the end of time, he knows Donna's safe. And he's sat there saying that he's buried his wife. And he's worried that everybody sort of that everybody would have turned in the graves, turned right. into the master. And it's not a consideration that would ever cross my mind as a viewer. But the fact that it crossed that character's mind is, like I said, just such a wonderfully human moment. And it adds an extra layer of of sort of feeling and, and gravitas to what's going on. And I don't think anybody else could have done it like Bernard Cribbins did. And then a few minutes later in the same episode, he's behind the he's, he's behind the controls of a space laser, you know, firing at, <laughs> firing at rockets coming towards him, having the time of his life. It, it was just a fantastic actor, and the outpouring of of love for him has, has been absolutely wonderful to see. And I'll be honest, I found out when I was at work um, there was there was tears in my eyes reading some of the tributes and mm. remembering some of those moments with Wilfred. Because I've said before on this show, there's something very powerful about people of a certain age or generation when they show a certain level of emotion. And that was something that Wilfred never shied away from. Um, and it's it's the final bit we see when the doctor is is dying and he turns up at Donna's wedding and he gives them an envelope. Said, you know, I went back and found, you know, found Donna's dad who'd passed away in in that time and said, you know, he just asked him for a pound. And he gave it to me. The doctor used that pound to buy a lottery ticket. But, you know, who knows the future? The doctor. Mm. So he's found, <laughs> he's, he's, used, he's used her dead dad's money to buy a winning lottery ticket and delivered it to her. And they, obviously Donna opens it, it's a lottery ticket. What a cheap bastard, mind you, triple roll over this week, you never know. And Wilfred and his daughter, Donna's mum, share a look. You know, they, oh my God. But then Wilf re- remembers what's happening. And he turns around with tears in his eyes and he salutes the doctor. Yeah. And the doctor just ch- turns and walks away. But Wilf's starting to cry. And he blows him a kiss behind his back. And it's just so beautiful. And the doctor never saw it. Mm. It's just unbelievable. It didn't need to be that emotional. But it was so, so perfect. And I'm, yeah. getting, choked. I'm getting choked up talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you've you put it brilliantly as well. You've explained it all fantastically there. And obviously this is leading into Tennant's exit from the show, isn't it? His regeneration mm. and so on. 
Tenant's regeneration to me is an emotional moment anyway, because everyone was so fond of him. And, you know, the, obviously the famous line, I don't want to go at the end and all that sort of stuff. Hmm. I think the emotion in Tenant's regeneration is made so much more intense by all the stuff you've just described there. Oh, it is. It, it's because it's part of him going around and, and basically doing a farewell tour. You know, seeing um, seeing Martha and Mickey, mm. um, seeing Jack, um, say, you know, saving Sarah Jane's son. Then he then he goes to see Donna, and well, not see Donna, but see Wilfred, give him the lottery ticket, and then the final person he goes to see is Rose. Yeah, it's it was phenomenal. It really was, and like I said, Bernard Cribbins just stole the show for me in that final scene. Really Absolutely did. fantastic, you know, and it's obviously, you know, the AG was at, it's a good old innings, but it doesn't make it any easier. It's, it's yeah, very I think, sad. I read, I read Russell T. Davis's tribute to him, he was saying about how in the set of Voyage of the Damned, you know, you've got David Tennant there, you've got you've got Kylie Minogue, for fuck's sake. Yeah. But all, but all eyes were on Bernard Cribbins because he was just entertaining. He, mm. brought a, he brought a suitcase of props just in case they needed him. You know, he, had, he, he sat there dicking about with a rubber chicken, and everybody's having the time. You know, everybody's having the time of their life just watching him be himself. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be bittersweet seeing him in the 60th anniversary. But yeah, that's um, going to be a funny one, isn't it? That's going to be a bit. Oh, I'll, bit I'll, weird. I'll more than likely cry, to be honest. But I'm so glad he got to film the scenes. And you say about it being a good innings. I think with someone like Bernard Cribbins, it it can be a good innings. He's lived a long, successful life. But it's one of those people who will it'll always be too soon. Yeah. But yeah, I just wanted to pay tribute to Vernon Cribbins and uh, the character of Wilfred Martin. I'd, like I said, I do look forward to seeing him in the 60th. I've got a feeling it'll be absolutely hysterical. <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine so. I'd imagine so. And that's uh, that, that's a really fitting tribute. Brilliant words, Dan. That was that was that was awesome. I mean, that's why I kind of left you to it because I couldn't. Not bad, not bad, I, off, I, the, not bad off the top of my head. Eh? <laughs> That's it. I, I couldn't have found the words for that. So, you know, fantastic stuff. I, I really appreciate that, yeah. mate. Thank you. But like I said, the last thing I said there was uh, was that it was uh, that it, it's going to be hilarious. And uh, speaking of hilarious, we've got The Awakening to talk about. Yeah. That, oh, what a segue that was. Oh, look at that. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting good at this, aren't I? No, that's, don't, yeah, don't, don't, start, don't start worrying now, Ric Flair's last match is later on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we do indeed. We do indeed. A Peter Davison story with Tegan and Turlo as the companions. Originally aired in January 1984. A two-part story. But this is back in the day of episodes only being 25 minutes-ish. Mm. So it's, it's it's done and dusted relatively quick, Dan, isn't it? Yeah, it was it was something I was intrigued by. Because as I said last week, I was looking around uh, trying to find a, a, a Peter Davison story. And I never knew he'd done two parts, and I was curious to see how it would pan out. And this was regarded as one of the better ones. So I thought, why not? And, yeah, Wrapped Up Quickly describes a lot of this a lot of this two-part for me because it, it has a lot of good ideas and a lot of, um, a lot of sort of narrative threads and, and bits that happen but that don't necessarily get tied up. So it's, it's a little bit odd and a little bit um, almost frustrating for me, really, because I'm there thinking, well, what was their significance? You know, what was yeah. like that? We'll we'll see a we'll see a character sort of early on who looked who's 
you know, supposed to be all sorts of scarred, but he looks like he's got like porridge oats and a bit of dust on his face. So I just called him Dusty Porridge because he didn't have a name. Um, oh, I called him Mankface. Oh, I think I feel mine was a bit more respectful somehow. Yeah, <laughs> thinking about it, Mankface is a bit mean, isn't it? <laughs> Well, it's an apparition from the 1600s. I don't think that, I don't think you take too much offence. Nah, but yeah, it was um, it was a bit all over the shop, wasn't it? Really, this. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned that as well about certain aspects maybe not being tied up. Apparently, the script for this particular story was put forward in the 70s, mm. but it was written to be a longer serial through three, four, five, pot, whatever it may well have been, and it got rejected a couple of times before eventually being accepted on the premise that it gets trimmed down a bit. Because mm. the production team or whoever was in charge making those decisions at the time decided that there wasn't enough there to make it a longer story. So they trimmed it down to the two parts here. But what you're saying is literally the opposite of what they thought. And I agree with you. There are certain aspects of this story that you kind of finish the episode, the second episode, and you're like, okay, well, what was that about? And what was that about? Yeah, it, there was enough here to have at least one more part to it. Mm. Just, to, just to flesh things out a little bit and ultimately have a bit more happen that wasn't just we're running around the village oh no we've been captured we're running around the village again oh no we're in a tunnel yeah it was it was kind of i suppose very simplistic i guess with regards to what actually went on i mean we'll we'll jump into it now i suppose we'll jump into it now it's it's not gonna take long to run through the rough plot of what happens because again as as we explained it's two episodes and it is kind of straightforward isn't it dan Mm, yeah, is I mean, basically Tegan wants to go see her granddad. Turlo and the Doctor are landing, sort of land the TARDIS, and they hit an energy field, which is a bit odd for a you know small village in England. Um, but we've before that we've seen shots of sort of medieval looking people, or, you know, not quite medieval, but um, sort of Tudor era people, you know, riding around on horses. Yeah. So it's, it's all a bit garbled to start with. Um, but we're introduced to uh, a character, a guy called Ben, and um, there's a there's a woman there. I can't remember her name now, and I can't find her name. Uh, Miss Hampton, the Jane Hampton, yeah, yeah, and uh, and then and Sir George, who was obviously the uh, the Lord and Master of the village, so to speak. Um, so it all there's a lot of stuff sort of happens very quickly, and there seems to be in some sort of some sort of reenactment, which. I don't think I've ever seen a historical reenactment anywhere in my travels in the UK. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, well, actually, now I say that, I live in York and we get people walking around dressed as Vikings all the time for the Viking Centre. So, I was going to say, <laughs> being in York, there must be something around there, surely. Not a, not a full-scale, like, battle reenactment. Oh, okay. So we got a medieval festival down my way. And obviously, COVID sort of kicked it in the balls for a couple of years. Does that but... just mean you roll all the cheese down the hill? No, that's a different thing we do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we're weird over here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's like a, a, a medieval battle reenactment that happens uh, during the middle of this medieval festival, yeah. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. But uh, My mum goes quite often. I've never been, but my mum and dad go and watch it, yeah. Oh, fair news. Um, but that's it. They're basically, you know, they call it, uh, they're calling it a war games, which made me flash back to... Uh, Patrick Troughton's exit from the show. Yeah, I mean. Um, but this gives us our the only two uh, the only two tropes I could find in the show. Uh, the guy who plays uh, George Hutchinson is an actor called Dennis Lill, uh, who also played Doctor Fendelman in Image of the Fendal in 1977. 
Okay. And, uh, ben Wolsey uh, is played by Glyn Houston, who also played uh, Professor Watson in The Hand of Fear in 1976. I recognised him. I'm not sure if it had been from The Hand of Fear, but I did recognise the guy who played Ben, yeah. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, I've, I've no idea. I just found out what they'd been in before. Mm. So I don't know if he'd been in other stuff on telly as well and I recognised him from some, maybe I don't know some 70s sitcom or something that they rerun on UK Gold I don't know <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's got the look of somebody who's been in everything hasn't he yeah yeah exactly one of those really familiar he's probably in the likely lads and all your sort of stuff you know <laughs> well, he probably wasn't I'm just making that up but there we go uh, yeah I mean the beginning is all over the place as you said we, we've got the TARDIS shaking about uh, they land in 1984 because they're not convinced it is 84, because looking through the, the monitor, the, the visor, I suppose, there's somebody running around in 17th century gear, and they're inside yeah. a church, aren't they? Yeah, they're in, the, uh, they're in the basement of a church, and there's sort of shadowy monks knocking about. Mm. Yeah, it's where you tend to find them, to be fair, in the basement of a church. Skulking around. Yeah, making their own wine and stuff. Um, <laughs> straight off the bat, though, it's... It's, it's to me it's like two i suppose the whole point of the show is it is kind of two worlds colliding but yeah in a way that's not meant i suppose early on because you have all the i suppose medieval gothic kind of setup with the church and there's a certain atmosphere when they're in there and the stones and the pillars and all that sort of stuff and then every time they pop outside it's just a nice bit of countryside isn't it you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's just like a very sort of quaint twee english village yeah <laughs> But it's uh, what is it? The one thing I'd have to say it made me laugh was the uh, the shaky cameras. The TARDIS lands and hits the energy field. Yeah, but you can tell the person behind the cameras just grab both sides of it and just wobble it about a bit. Yeah, that was proper like old nineteen sixties Star Trek, wasn't it? Yeah, when when <laughs> when, when the Enterprise got hit by anything, they count down three, two, one, and everyone used to have to just fall over. You know, it was like <laughs> it was like Andy's coming and Toy Story. Everyone just collapses. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, the village apparently and I'm going to jumping around a little bit I think during this because it is such a short story that it's difficult for me at times to kind of not comment on something that happens later on as we're talking about something else because it, was, it is all such a short period of time everything is quite mm. linked quite closely but we're told that these war games are a big important part of their heritage by, by Sir George he's like the one who's proper pushing this but then he also mentions when the Doctor, Turlow, and Tegan kind of run off for the first time, because they, they, they they've been captured early on as they're exploring around. He also mentions that the village is isolated; no one can get in and no one can get out. That's a bit intense. It is just a bit, but I think that's sort of explained later on. It's it's more the fact that the um, sort of the, the big bad behind everything that's making all this worse. Because, you know, this all starts off saying that it's, you know, it's just getting a little bit out of hand, people are getting injured and, and all. Yeah. You know, it's just a bit rambunctious. And then it ends up being a, a big, like, well, actually, the, this this sort of dark power is going to make them all murder each other. Mm. You know, it sort of escalates very quickly. I think it's more of an extension of that. I think it's an extension of the power of, of malice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you mentioned you mentioned malice, the malice there. We're told initially that it's like an image of the devil itself, and it appears in some artwork and so on, like carved into bits of wood. But then we see a big 
almost face of is it a face of bow in the in the newer hues that it was called <laughs> i got a face of bow vibes from it just not quite as good is if you went is if, you, if you were the face of bow action figure from like argos or amazon or something like that but you couldn't nah. quite afford it and you went to pine stretcher this is kind of what you get i've said it before it's the uh it's the off-brand petrol station yes uh, face of bow <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. You're on a long road trip when you're a kid. You stop for petrol. It's like, Dad, can I have that? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Shut up. All right. And <laughs> yeah, and as soon as you get home, it's just, just forgotten about it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um, you know instead of a instead of a Power Ranger, it's like a, it's like a Super Ranger or a Power Fighter or something like that. And it it looked like something from a really bad haunted house. Yeah, yeah. I wonder as well though. With, especially with these older who's maybe not so much in the eighties, maybe a bit more in the seventies, for example, we're watching these things back now in high definition TV. I mean, some places now have ultra high definition and all this sort of nonsense, 4k t- and all this, right. Mm. And they weren't filmed to be put on televisions of that higher quality. I wonder if that hurts what we're watching sometimes, because it does look a bit, a bit ropey, a bit, a bit dated with certain aspects of what we're watching because of the quality we're now watching it on. Whereas if you had it on a, a TV in the eighties where everything was a little bit more fuzzy and you, you watch footage from the eighties of sporting events, for example, it's never quite clear and all that. I wonder if it looked better then because it wasn't as well defined. Maybe quite possibly. Cause then you'd have, you'd be making out a vague shape of features behind all this smoke, you know, coming, you know, just bursting through a raw a wall. And it, like you say, it'd all be very, you know, it'd all be a bit, a bit fuzzy and all that. So you wouldn't be able to see the cracks in the in the wall before it comes through. Mm. And, you know, and stuff like that, like I could. Um, I don't know if you clock those, so you could see where the wall was about to break. Yeah. Because I, I watched part one back again this morning. And it, just to think, like, I, I was thinking, I'm oh, sure I saw that. I'm sure. So I went back and watched it. Yeah, sure enough, you can see the, it's obviously not the first take and they've had to put the wall back together. <laughs> oh brilliant but, I mean we give we give things credit where it's due on this show we do you know we're not unnecessarily ragging on it and like you say with that caveat maybe it did look better back then but times uh, time and technology have, uh, have not been kind to uh, to all big face malice no no this is true this is true I mean we'll get to the worst part of that shortly no doubt but uh <sighs> No, you know, you know, you know, so what that and the uh, that and the old dusty porridge's face aren't, aren't the worst of it. No, not quite, not quite. <laughs> dusty porridge, old mank face. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Turlo, the doctor, and Tegan also come across that big crack in the wall that you mentioned, Dan. And as they, uh, as the episode sort of jumps around a little bit, and people keep popping back to the church and so on, we're told the crack's getting bigger and there's smoke coming out of it. And it's setting the scene for the malice to burst through, isn't it? In the kind of a big part of the, the cliffhanger at the end of the episode, I guess. Like the world's shit is cool, in man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the whole crack in the wall stuff, though, obviously reminded me of, of the Matt Smith era. When yes. That was all, you know, the whole sort of under, underlying thing in, the, uh, in, in his first series. But um, you know, seeing the smoke come out of the, the crack in the wall was was all right. You know, it adds a bit of intrigue and, and stuff like that. But this whole sort of first part is very much just—it's an extended version of the question: What's going on here? Then 
because mm. we find out that Tegan's granddad's gone missing. Nobody's really looking for him. We get this very sinister bit where after Sir George has explained what's going on and he finds out who it finds out Tegan's identity, he's then saying, right, double the perimeter, find the girl, or find, find uh, Andrew Verney's granddaughter. I've got big plans for her. Yeah, that sounds a bit. It gets very sinister very quickly. Like I say, it, esca- it all escalates from, oh, we're just, you know, we're dressing up in fancy clothes and role-playing and, you know, it's essentially a big fancy, you know, lapping event to actually he's taking this shit seriously. Yes, yes, he's very intense, isn't he? Um, something that happens as well quite early on is we get like the little, I suppose, computer graphic dots flickering around in places. Yeah. And certain images popping up and now we get this explained away later in that being it's psychic energy that the malice is using to project images and all this sort of we would beat boot gump i suppose but <laughs> the first one we see is a just, topless old man <laughs> yeah but i mean i don't know if you if you're familiar with it have you ever seen the the um megadeth album cover for a countdown to extinction if i have it i've not seen it since i was a teenager it's the same dude <laughs> he's really? on the front he's on the he's not it's not actually well i don't know it might be i don't know but that's what i got i was like why is the guy from the megadeth album on the front of uh, turning up in doctor who in a barn somewhere it was <laughs> it was just weird why was he there what was the point yeah but this is what this is one of the things you know maybe there was a plan for that guy maybe he was maybe it was something like he was the creator of malice and was trying to warn mm. that would have been something to have in a third part yeah. To actually get some more information, you know, to have a reason why the doctor knows this rather than just picking up a bit of squidgy metal and just saying, oh, I know where that's from. Therefore, I know what this is. Therefore, this is this and this is how I stop it. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. That's, that's quite, that, could, that can be done quite impressively. But it also, on this, it's blatantly obvious that it's just a way to, to get it to the conclusion. It's just there to hurry it along and, and remove the need for any for any further intrigue or events or explanation. Yeah, it, it does feel like we very much get, I mean, I don't, I think it's one of the best Doctor Who stories. Don't get me wrong. The, the, the simple good versus evil, you've got to rescue a planet, whatever they work. Of course they do. You know, if they're, if they're, there's one or two of them in a series or whatever, it's, it, it, it breaks everything up. But to me, the really good Doctor Who stories isn't about getting from A to B. It's about getting from like A to E but the important parts are the other letters in between, if that makes sense, the storytelling and, and the swerves mm. and the, the changes. And so, or, so I mean, or sometimes, the, or sometimes even going A to B, but you're going via C, D, via C yeah. and D. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Now the, the, uh, Jody Whitaker episode we watched recently for the podcast. That was the perfect example. It's a one-off story. They're there to do a job, beat the bad guys or whatever, and get out of there again. That's it. Done. <laughs> However, it's not just in, just to defeat the bad guys, out we go. The person you think is the bad guy turns out to not be. person who you really like turns out to be effectively a freaking terrorist to some description. You get from A to B, but as you said, Dan, via massive detours in between. This story here feels like something very similar. It's like they want to go from A to B with numerous detours in between, but they just got rid of the detours. So all of a sudden, we're going from A to B in lightning quick time. Yeah, exactly. It's A to B, it's A to B, but they're taking, they're still taking a linear route. It's just a longer linear route. 
Mm. It's it's just not there's just not a lot to get your teeth into really. And they try no. they try they try to have multiple storylines. They try to have the, the kidnapping storyline of Tegan's granddad. They try to have the whole thing with Sir George and his corruption, and you know the the uh, will who comes into it from sixteen forty three or whenever it you know whenever it is, and then the whole science behind malice. But it just means that it all gets sort of chucked, just vomited out there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then the doctor just goes, "Oh, here's all fix it, sweet." Off we go. Yeah. yeah. See you later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's there's a couple of bits that I want to touch upon in in the first episode that are, sort of made me chuckle a little bit, and then I thought it was a bit mean as well. First of all, the the description of the is it the May Queen they call her? Uh, yeah, yeah, the Queen of the May. The, well, they do yeah. a few different ways: the Queen of the May, the May Queen, Queen May, and shit like that. But the, the, again, we never find out exactly what that is or why they're planning to burn her. Well, Will mentions that he saw her get burnt in the 1600s. So it's obviously some part of the role-playing of looking back at the heritage and the history and so on. But like you said, that's all we get. We don't get the full... We don't know, do we? Yeah, it's like if 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 the malice had somehow been brought into, you know, involving witch trials or something like that. Mm. And, you you know, if you were, if you were found to be the queen of May, and it, it was actually, you know, a, a way to, you know, way to hunt witches or something like that. It's, it's a crap justification for it, but it's more than we were given here. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, but it, when we first find out, or, or well, I think it's when we first find out. I mean, things are so vague in parts of this episode. We may have been covered beforehand, but when we first hear early on that the Queen something bad happens to the May Queen or the Queen of May or whatever, we later find out that she gets effectively burnt at the stake, don't we? Yeah, but. Early on, we're told that you know she doesn't survive the battle; she gets hurt or whatever, something like that. And when this is going on, Sir George basically has a little line where he says, "Something is coming to our village. Something very wonderful and strange." And it was just like, why would you describe? Why would you use those two words in that context? I mean, very wonderful and strange. It just sounded so weird the way he worded it. But it wasn't weird as in he's being possessed. He's he's lost, losing the plot a little bit. It was just. To me, uh, I've never written a TV show, so it sounds funny me digging people out. But that line just sounded bullshit. I think they were trying a bit too hard to make him mysterious. Mm, okay. I think that's what it is. They're giving these, you know, this fancy sort of almost contradictory terminology to go, kind of, ooh, what could be happening here? And it's just like, actually, it just sounds like a dick. It's wonderful and strange. <laughs> well, yeah. It, it, <laughs> When it, what actually what actually his more sinister line is is earlier on in this, when uh, Miss Hampton saying to him about you know detaining people against the wills illegal. He's not actually you know a medieval lord. He doesn't have that kind of jurisdiction. And he just looks at it and he says, "Well, as the he says, don't you worry, as the local magistrate, I'm sure I'll find myself completely innocent." What a <laughs> bastard! <laughs> so oh, see, that, that's good. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yeah. The, that shit after where it's saying something wonderful and strange is crap. Yeah, it's just, it is not very good at all. Um, the next one that sort of springs to mind as well, and this isn't a case of it being rubbish, I just find it from a character standpoint a little bit weird because mm. you've got Will, 
who has fallen through the wall or the crack or something or whatever to be in 1984. But he's he's a relatively young lad from 1643, I think the date was, Dan, wasn't it? Is that right? Quite scared. He's obviously not particularly well educated, but he's a he's a nice fan. He's a nice kid. You know, he's he's yeah. he, he, he's a he's one of the points in this serial that I did enjoy. I thought Will was all right. However, he can't get his head around the fact that it's not 1643 and the battle isn't raging right at that moment. And then we cut away to something else, and we come back to the doctor showing him a graveyard with people that have died in the 1850s. Now, I understand he's trying to point out to Will, this is the situation we're in now. But you've got to bear in mind, this is a young lad who's already terrified because he's been in the middle of a battle and seen some last burnt at the stake in 1640, <laughs> whatever. You know, he's, he's, he's had a bit of a, he's, he's not had a good day, let's put it that way. And now he's getting told you're hundreds of years in the future, look at all these dead fuckers that were born after you. Right? <laughs> now, to this young lad, who again, is not particularly well educated. He's not of a higher class of of that era. That's surely got to mess his mind up. Is that not a bit mean? Oh, that's brilliant. It, the way you describe this, I know what will calm him down: graves. Yeah, exactly. Why is he? Why? why? <laughs> have we? <laughs> know, have we, have we had conversations? Have we had conversations building up to that point that were subsequently removed from the story maybe because it seemed to come out of nowhere they were just all of a sudden in the graveyard and will was going i don't believe it and the doctor's going well it's true pal well yeah you because know? you think from will's point of view he's come through the cracking time or whatever or the, you know he's been brought into his projection and then he's got to he's looking outside he's seeing people dressed how he remembers so right. surely there must have been something in the original script where the doctor's trying to convince him that we're actually in the future and trying to bring him round, but they had to cut it for time, and therefore it just comes across as the doctor traumatizing this poor little bastard. Yeah. <laughs> I thought initially when I first watched this, I thought he was going to show him his own grave. That's been even darker. That would have been that's a whole different show, isn't it? That is. Oh dear me! It, it's just I mean, with regards to the character of Will. Apparently, there were initial plans for him to carry on with Doctor Who and be in the TARDIS as a companion for a short time. But they got dropped towards the end of this story because they thought that his, and, and I'm quoting here for, from an article online, his youth-like enthusiasm would wear thin very quickly. So they thought there wasn't much character development available. Yeah, it's I think you're right. I think Will's uh, sort of naivety and, and sort of, I suppose the way he he's kind of folksy, isn't he? He's like... Like you say, he's, he's obviously, you know, just a working class kid and doesn't really know much about anything. And, and the way he speaks as well, the way the writer's character would get get annoying, you know, when they ask him what year he goes, Ooh, oh, I know that one. I know this one. Yeah. I know that one right enough, I does. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the people who chase the cheese down the hill here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> or also calls him family <laughs> yeah god bless Gloucester um, <laughs> we we basically discover then that, that the plans are now for Tegan to be the, the, the May Queen or the Queen of the May or burnt at the stake or however they want to call it don't we yeah we do and we get this really uncomfortable thing where they're keeping her in this room and one of the so one of the moreover zealous um, sergeants comes in just throws a dress at her and says, put that on, you know, get dressed. And gives it this whole, you know, basically very 
threatening behaviour all around to her. Mm. Insinuating, never outright says anything, but insinuating that something bad will happen if she keeps pissing him off. Yeah. Yeah. He's not a good dude, this one, is he? No, he's a prick. Yeah. He's an absolute prick. And then he, when she does get changed, he takes her actual, he takes her proper clothes and just chucks them. Basically takes them away. Which again, very sinister and, and he's a, he, he abuses, he abuses power, basically. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say with regards to taking her actual clothes and getting rid of them. It's very controlling, isn't it? It's very much, you will wear what I tell you to wear. You will do as I say. And it's kind of, yeah, very, very sinister. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, I you know, I get that it's meant to be sort of the, you know, the effect of malice and bringing out the worst in the worst in everybody. But we don't know that at this point. No. So was this guy's just a cock end? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that was it. He says that was it. He says just do as you're told unless you want me to do it for you. Yeah, that's a bit. Oh, so great. actually, so he's actually he's actually threatening to to strip her mm. forcibly, which that is not okay. No. And if you need to be told that is not okay, you're a piece of shit, and you need to sort your life out. Um, oh, not not directed at Sai specifically there, just anybody who may be listening who. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I've never <laughs> been in that scenario, so <laughs> that's not something I actively decided to go out and do on a weekend or anything like that. Definitely about this <laughs> night and not me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to make that clear. Like, I'm yeah. very tired. I'm glad you cleared on that. Um, <laughs> I'll call you. I'll call you many things, mate, but that's not one of them. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad. Not to my um, face, anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry, before you go on, we do get a little bit of wee woo beat boop just after this. Okay, that's when the doctor finds the chunk of squashy metal. Yeah, and, uh, he calls it. It's Tin Clavic from the planet Raga, and then they decide to get back to the church. So you've got the Doctor, Will, and Miss Hampton are all together by this point, and she's basically begging for him to slow down and just basically explain what the fuck is going on. Which is a fair question. Yeah, well, we've been asking it for the last 25 minutes. Yeah, exactly. And he says it's... Uh, he gives it this line. It's, uh, the Terileptal, Mindsing Clavic, for more or less the exclusive use of the people of Harkol. That's in the star system Rifter, don't you know? And she just looked at him and escaped one madman for another. <laughs> that's her exact line. Yeah. So they've told us he's told us this and how he's got to whatever the Harkal are, you know, whoever they are. But nothing more than that. No. Um and he basically saying that it got there as part of a spaceship. Or it to be more accurate, a, a computer controlled reconnaissance vehicle. And Hamden is actually really funny. This is oh how silly of me not to know. Mm. Um but again, this is the kind of the vibe the doctor is giving off here, whether it's intentional or because bits of the story are missing, is very much a case. Oh, obviously, the doctor's always the smartest guy in the room, but the response to him there is very much how it feels as a viewer watching as well. So, oh, yeah, of course. Well, why, why didn't we know that already? Sort of thing, you know? Yeah, well, naturally, you know, and, and obviously, um, you know, obviously, the, these apparitions uh, are happening because on Harkal, psychic energy is a force that gets harnessed like electricity as on Earth. You know, of course, that's what's happening. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it's all this is all very quickly done at the end of the episode, and I, I will say we mocked the uh, the face coming through the wall. But when Miss Hampton says the crack wasn't there the other day, and she goes near it, and then you get that initial break, mm. and the volume goes up, and it's the big noise out of nowhere, and she screams. That was actually a pretty decent jump scare. Yeah, yeah, totally. That was well done. But this kind of brings us to the end of part one, doesn't it? <laughs> the, the, the doctor huffing the fumes. Yeah, the doctor's just diving his mush into this big pile of smoke, yelling a little bit, and this big 
sort of polystyrene face of bow dude with green eyes is busting through a wall. And that's that's your cliffhanger, which I suppose is going to make you want to tune in because you've had 25 minutes of what the hell's going on. And then this happens, which is a massive what the hell's going on. So I kind of, in a way, it kind of makes me want to watch the next episode. Yeah, it's there's been a lot of running around, you know, with Tegan just running off when she realises her granddad's missing and nobody's bothering looking for him. She just runs out of the room, decides to sniff her purse, and then the purse gets nicked. <laughs> decides <laughs> to sniff her purse, yeah. Well, she has this very dramatic, you know, which I suppose you would, you know, if you're fearing for somebody's safety, but she just puts her purse over her face and it just looks like she's giving it a big gulp. Mm. <laughs> um then, you know, the doctor sends Turlo after her. Then he gets, doctor gets held up. Then he runs off after him. He gets knocked on his ass by, uh, by Dusty Porridge. And he's wondering, you know, how, 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 the, how is he running so fast? Because he's an apparition that we don't know, that we never get resolved. Ah, that was something I was going to bring up, actually. I got a note on that. He, he starts chasing old manky face. And like you said, Dan, he disappears down this lane. And the doctor literally looks straight at the camera and goes, how has he travelled so far? That's it. We don't get any answers on that whatsoever. Because I find myself the whole of this second episode wondering, well, we're going to find out about that guy's Linford Christie pace then? Or, <laughs> you know. Linford Christie face. Linford Christie face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yes. Um, but yeah, but I think it, you sort of, I could just kind of took it as red as okay. He's able to do that because he's an apparition. He's not really there, even mm. though he can nick a purse. Yeah, um, it's again, it's another again, story it, hole, isn't it? Another, another plot hole. Yeah, and you know, it was all just a lot of they're running around here. Tegan's been taken back there. Turlo's somewhere. The doctor's looking for them all. Oh wait, they're back in that 17th century room again that 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 Ben bloke's so proud of. Mm. Now they're back in the church, and it's just it felt like a lot of busy work. Yeah, rather that it felt like occupying characters' time rather than moving the story on any. You know, we get that stuff sinister and it does get a little bit more sinister. But yeah. then in the last in the last in the last three minutes, we get the whole we will boot boop science rough you know explanation that isn't an explanation. And then we get the big we get old big face coming out of the <laughs> coming out of the wall. Mm. The the pacing of this is is just completely off for me. Yeah, I agree. Babble, 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 babble. Holy shit, what's that? The end. Yeah, that's the first episode, yeah, pretty much. I mean, you mentioned there as well uh, Turlo, who is involved in a lot of the running away, getting captured, running away, getting captured nonsense that we see. On one occasion where Turlo is captured, in the very beginning of episode two, he is thrown into a barn they're using, or a shed maybe they're using as a kind of prison cell. And that's where we meet Tegan's grandfather. I mean, first yeah. of all, I don't know how long he's been there because he looks rough as shit. Let's be honest. He looks they, like they, say it's, they say it's only been a couple of days, Dude, which, must mean, like, which must mean he looks like shit most of the time. Yeah, like, have a shower or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, far bit, far bit from either of us to say anything about facial hair, but you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna shave, shave. If mm. if you're gonna keep it as weird patchy stubble, then you know, commit to it at least. Yes. Mm. Um, the reason I bring that up, though, is Turlo himself. Now, obviously, you'd have seen Turlo in The Five Doctors. He was part of that story there. But that aside, 
knowing that you've not watched masses of classic who up until now, I'm assuming you don't know or haven't seen a great deal of Turlough. What no. are your thoughts? Because I've got quite strong opinions on the character of Turlough. Initially, I thought he was a coward. Right. Um, he's obviously very good at the sciencey stuff because he's helping the Doctor pilot the TARDIS. But he's, uh, well, maybe not a coward. He's, all, he's He always seems to be the cautious one. Mm. You know, because he asked the Doctor to relocate the TARDIS rather than just walking out into the crumbling church. Which, to be fair, sensible. Yeah, makes sense, yeah. And then he's, but then he's moaning about how far away the church is from the village. And then he's, unless until he's forced into it, and forced into a situation where he has to act, I get the feeling he'd be quite happy with his feet up in the TARDIS, doing now. Mm, yeah. Okay. Surrounded by his wee-wee-beep-boop. Yeah. And to be honest, and I know he is in The Five Doctors, I can't remember doing any him doing anything in it. No. He's a bit, he's, of, a, bit of a spare part. Yeah, and Turlo initially came into Doctor Who because... He was a character in a particular story where they had some power who was trying to get Turlow to kill the Doctor. And th- this then carried on for a few stories after this as he was traveling with the Doctor. Still, it was, it was almost like secretly a bad guy trying to bump him off. And then eventually he got exposed and Turlow and the Doctor and, uh, were then friends and he stays with the Doctor until he can get back to his home planet. How I don't know if that initial deception and that initial sneakiness to the character kind of made my mind up for me. I don't know, but I can't stand him. I I think he's uh, the way he talks to Tegan and the way he is around Tegan. And then also with Nyssa as well in, in certain stories there, I think he's just quite slimy and horrible. Right. I didn't see, I didn't, there wasn't enough interaction between him and Tegan in this episode for me to get that. Mm. Um, in this episode, he felt very much like the uh, the Rory. Um, oh, in, the, you know, in, in the Matt I Smith don't like Rory, so yeah, it was very much the Rory or the Ryan, you know. But yeah, we we've seen episodes where Ryan has much more of a point than Turlo has in this. Mm. Um, yeah, he was just sort of he was just sort of there. Um, but yeah. I've, just before this, in this episode, because uh, that's sort of the second thing that happens. Uh, the Doctor emerges okay from the fog, doesn't he? Yes. Uh, he's just like, ah, that was fog. It looked like it was hurting me, but I'm fine. And it's at this point I realise that all the, the old big face looks like something that the Joker would carve to make himself feel like an Aztec god. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's really, that's spot on. Yeah, that's exactly, that's what went through my mind. When I saw the full face, I was like, that is one of Joker's vanity projects mm. from Batman, which yeah. made it slightly cooler for me, but also slightly more cheesy. Yeah. yeah. Um, like- they do actually mention that this is this face is the representation of of the devil in the wood carving that they saw in the same church, which I quite like that. And that this thing's been around for so long that it's become an image of the devil. Mm. But again, yeah. I feel like there were, again, I feel like there was more to explore with that. So, you know, if they'd have had an extra episode, you know, that type of iconography could have uh, could have cropped up in various different places around the village. They could have had something to give that a bit more meaning, other than oh, remember that thing that you saw a little bit ago? Yeah, he's living it. 
Oh, that's that joke of Big Fish. You're on there, look. How's you? <laughs> You're in that little wood carving over there, pal. Look at that, eh? Come on, Smokey Chops, crack a smile. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and I suppose now we're over halfway through our story, aren't we? Because we're, we're into the second episode. We find out here for definite that the malice is it needs the psychic energy to arrive in 1984 and the war games is where the psychic energy is at its most powerful so that's what yeah. the malice is feeding off so why does it want to come to 1984 then or is it just a coincidence well the malice is already in 1984 oh no okay but sort of emerge then shall we say because it's quite it needs the psychic power that has been generated by the war games doesn't it yeah, well it's waking up from a 300 year power nap mm. and it's decided well there's a lot going on out there that's enough to get me chopped around i guess i'll have lunch and destroy the village yeah okay okay so 1984 the fact that it's 1984 and when the doctor arrives to see take tegan to see her granddad is literally just coincidence well, I think it's also the fact that Vernie was involved in research on, on the malice. So maybe that research activated it in some way. Okay. Yeah. It woke up and felt it had to defend itself, and it just so happened to coincide with the war games. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it's, it's, it's got hold of Sir George and just thought, this mad bastard will do. Yeah, well, that's fair enough. I mean, January of 84, this was made. I mean, it was set in the summer of 84, though, wasn't it? It was, it was set. Yeah. So I mean, eighty four could you know a worse time to wake up from a big nap. I mean, Ghostbusters came out that year. Gremlins as well, I think. Oh yeah, could be a lot worse. I'd, if anything, I bet Malice would love Ghostbusters. Yeah, probably take a few hints and tips. Yeah, um, yeah that's fair point. One, one thing I did like at this point as well: the the, the doctors, the doctor and uh, Miss Hamden are going back to go, yet again back to the uh, through the secret passage, and. He asks her if she knows anything about psychic energy. And she just looks at him very exasperately, again, feeling very much like a member of the odds. Like, you know I don't. Mm. Why are you asking me questions when you know I don't? Is it just to make yourself feel smart? You know, and he gives it this whole thing of saying it can occur in many forms, but the type here capable of creating projections requires a focus point, a medium. And she compares it to a poltergeist. And he said, yes, but a little more complicated. In this case, it isn't the medium that's creating the projections, but the malice. The medium simply gathers all the psychic energy for it to use. And what's creating the most psychic energy? The war games. And who controls the war games? Sir George. So everything we find out everything's been filtered through Sir George. Yeah. Into the malice to create the projections. Because we saw just before they say uh, <laughs> there was a, a group of... Uh, um, sort of soldiers generated by malice to try and kill the doctor, and we have this very, uh, this very sort of camp. Ah, it seems they mean to kill us. Make for the passage. <laughs> yeah, very matter of fact, wasn't it? I mean, you mentioned there that uh, the lady references a poltergeist. That was actually one of the working titles for this script when when it was initially written back in the seventies. It was mm. going to be called Poltergeist. So that's quite interesting that that sort right. of stands out as well. Might have been a copyright issue there with a certain movie. If you, I think, I think Poltergeist had already come out by that point. Yeah, wasn't it 80, 79, 80, something like that? Something like that. I don't know. Poltergeist is shit anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I hate Poltergeist. Some people might take issue with that, but it is crap. I I don't think I've seen it. I'm I'm not surprised. I wouldn't bother me. Yeah, it was 82, it was Poltergeist, so. Close then, close. Yeah, but um, yeah, we've got more. 
for some reason, we just get a shot of Will running in the field. So obviously he's run off, but mm. there's think, a lot know, of running around, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, just running through fields or running down the running down the street. We see we actually see, I think, both the Doctor and Turler, and maybe even Tegan at separate points run around looking for somebody else and end up at the end of the same road. Yeah. At the edge of the village. Yeah. It's, uh, oh, man. I mean, as, as all this is going on, I mean, first of all, we get a brilliant bit of interaction between uh, Sir George and the Doctor. The Doctor is saying he needs to get the war games called off because th- this is what's you know causing these issues. And as the final battle approaches, we're seeing shots of the malice seemingly get stronger more bits of stone are falling down and smoke mm. more smoke and his eyes are glowing and so, so it's given the, in- the impression that it's it's building up its strength the doctor trying to say we need to get the war games called off gets a response of you speak treason sir and the doctor brilliantly just responds yes fluently yeah <laughs> i thought that was that's line of the show for me that was fantastic yeah i love it that, that really was brilliant and then it's saying you're energizing a force so irresistibly destructive that nothing on earth can control it. That's what he just said before that. Mm. And it's, yeah, just a couple of great lines there. Um, but just before that, we'd missed a really sort of telling um, interaction with uh, with Tegan and, uh, and, and Ben because she's in the office pondering her escape and Ben tells her she, she won't get very far. And she just looks and says, I wouldn't dream of putting you through the putting them through the trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Great sarcasm. But then Ben says he feels that they're all Sir George's prisoners. Mm. So it's obvious that he's thinking it's all going too far. And it's it's, it's obvious that he's going to be the one to to side with the doctor and, and, and all the companions or anything. Um then you've got Sir George well saying, you know, it's no game, you know, this is actually no game and she's about to take part in something that will change the future of mankind. Again, it, that's that's a bit better than uh, than the episode before then. Yeah. Something something wonderful and strange. I mean, at least with this second part. Okay, we, we spoke about plot holes and almost jumping from one point to another too quickly and so on. But at least in this second part we can kind of see what's happening now and where we're heading. Things are starting to take a bit more of a shape to the story. I mean, we basically yeah. find that, you know, Tegan's obviously going to be effectively sacrificed, I suppose, at the end of this battle. And the, the final battle is when the, the, the psychic energy is, I suppose, at it's going to be at its peak, which the malice would then be in full yeah. control or full power. Maybe well, they're going to, cause the, the whole point of the battle is that both, the 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 roundheads and, and the cavaliers the two the two regiments destroyed each other that was the whole point yes. so feeding on the, the malice feeds on that chaos and, and that psychic energy and then it can fully unleash you know whatever it wants you know whatever it wants to do um which you know it's using sir george as a conduit he's kind of just going along with it and but i, st- I still don't get the point of the may queen like, no, like, no why? Like, we, we've had a battle. We best burn her then. <laughs> what you know? What 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 caused these two re- two what what, the, what could have caused these two regiments to wipe each other out? The, the vagina. <laughs> Set her on fire. She's evil. <laughs> <laughs> she's, 
<laughs> she spends far too much time sniffing her purse. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Also, yeah. she is brilliantly swiped away here, isn't she? Because <laughs> <laughs> with some kind of distraction technique, Ben rocks up at the uh, the final scene, I suppose, which looks a little bit like somewhere you would have some, some Morris dancing, potentially, but obviously with a murder in the middle. <laughs> murder and Morris dancing. <laughs> murder and Morris well, dancing. Well, I love what this is. Ben said to, said to him, right, if you don't leave on this car, then you're not going to get anywhere. Mm. So we have to at least set off. And then somewhere along the way, they've had time to build, dress, and place a straw dummy with the May Queen clothes. Uh, on. See, I and just then, took that as it was there anyway. I didn't think I didn't think that they would have built it there. Why would they have it? I don't know. But what I did love was this, like this horse and cart, and all the you know, it's all done up with the flowers and all that, and it. And then everybody's all in this, you know, the 17th century gear. And they're just trotting past a post office. And then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but when you think of it, the visual of it is very funny. But it makes sense. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because they're in this village doing a reenactment in theory. Yeah. You're not, you're not just going to, like, just cover up the post office, are you? You're not going to, you know, make it, you know, make a, put a daub and wattle front on uh, Yeah. We need to take this react, react, reenactment seriously. Cover the post office in shit and straw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, whilst all this is going on, Turlo and Varney are trying to break out of their little rickety shed prison effort. And at one stage, we get them rubbing their shoulders, saying it's no good; they can't break through. We get a scene that they cut. They cut to now where they finally do break out. And I bear in mind they're rubbing their shoulders, saying they can't get out. This is too difficult trying to break the door down or whatever. When we see them break out, it, it's like it's like a, a strong gust of wind would have blown that down. It's not done yeah. very well at all, is it? No, there, there's no weight to that door whatsoever. Not not even implied. It's pretty bloody funny. It's just um, pieces of wood, planks of wood, lent against the door frame for them to push over. Yeah, basically, it, it's it's crap. But again, while all this is going on, the cart pulls up to the church. Uh, sorry, yeah, they've, they've escaped on the car, and uh, the, did you, where is the running in the church? Did you see? Um, did you see the doctor accidentally chin the horse on his way in? No. <laughs> as, uh, as Peter Davison gets down off the um, off the car, and he's trying, to, they're all trying to pile in through this. The horse has just stopped a bit too far forward, and he's blocking the, the entrance. And I'm sure, I'm sure, I saw David, uh, David Tent, Peter Davison, accidentally headbutt the horse. Oh, I'll have to go back and watch. That's fantastic. <laughs> Horsehead butter needs to be uh, <laughs> needs to be another another band. Oh man, <laughs> it was funny um, that then. But it, this is sort of the first bit where every inevitably everybody's sort of reconverging. Is yes. back at the uh, back at the church, um, and then they all run into the TARDIS as well, don't they? The whole yeah. gang of them. Yeah, and they do. The doctor's a bit annoyed because <laughs> uh, Tegan has left the door open. It's like, you know, anything could have got in. And she's like, well, there's something in there already. And it's like, oh, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Why have you left the door open? Anything could have got in. Like, well, it did. So, you know, it's not my fault. Yeah. It fucking is. It's like, it's like if I went away for a, a day out and I came back and my lad had the front door wide open. 
And I said, why is the front door wide open? And he go, well, someone's really nicked the telly. So it don't matter, does it? You know, yeah. it's that kind of, it's that kind of scenario. <laughs> <laughs> why do I feel like that happened? No, it didn't. But every time I go away, I worry. <laughs> yeah. I know you've told me. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, the, um, the, but this fucking apparition, this like weird, snarly, sneery, demon-headed lizard just chilling on the wall of the TARDIS. It looks bad, but in the best way. This is what I was referring to earlier on when I said something comes up later on that's worse. This is it. <laughs> but it's not bad as in, I mean, the rickety fence or gate getting pushed over by Turlo that they've been obviously fighting against for hours. That was bad shit. This is bad, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love this. when it when it tries when it does its whole exorcist routine, turning its head like 180 degrees. Yeah, that's so bad. ropey, man. Yeah, but uh, you know, at this point, the doctor's saying for him to stay perfectly calm. Uh, old big face, sort of, is communicating with Sir George, who's sat, who's already been knocked off his horse and he's now back on his horse and he's holding his head just holding his head and just yells no and he's mm. got to get to the church it just comedy gold just great facial expression over the top hammy yeah. bullshit that I love we all, I mean we said about everyone getting in the TARDIS they're not quite there yet are they because Turlo and Verney are trying to well they come across some soldiers trying to break into the TARDIS don't they and they <laughs> knock, yeah. they knock them out with two polystyrene rocks. <laughs> it looks terrible. <laughs> at, least, at least they both sell that there's some weight to them. Mm. Like they're trying to act like there's some weight to them, but yeah, there is. They are light as a feather. Yeah, it's it's just fabulous. It really is. I mean, and this all the time that the doctor's trying to find the frequency to prevent the malice from fueling itself on the turmoil in the village. Mm. And then this is when it gets, this is when the, the creepy, sneery, snarly demon lizard gets just magnificent. When the green slime starts coming out of its mouth and eyes. Yeah, what was all that about? I think that was the the, the apparition dying. Okay. I don't, I, don't quite know, I don't quite know why it had to have. There's there's three projections or images of people that arrive all of a sudden. Yeah, Malice's last line of defence. They're called. But I thought he was really dead at this point. Obviously, he wasn't because we get a few moments afterwards. But I was given the impression he was already dead. So if this is his last line of defence, they're a bit late. Well, it's. I think it's kind of like the Malice sort of knows it's done, but it's still going to try and kill. The people that killed it. Okay, I get you. But it's uh, yeah, it was the because um, they say it's Malice's last source of psychic energy, so it'll wait as long as it can. Mm. And they all, what I loved about this is they all draw the swords. These three, these three soldiers, and one of the knocked out guards stumbles right into the middle of them and just gets executed. Yeah, and the, the Malice has used up has used up that last bit of psychic energy and now needs to recharge. Just on some to, bloke who just <laughs> fell into the wrong place. Just, just, to, just, just to kill some some chud who didn't know where he was. Oh, when you think about it, the, the malice is, you know, it's got this power. It's it's doing what it can to sort of emerge back from its sleep. 
it's obviously very evil. It can create all these different apparitions and projections. But then when something like this happens, you think, oh, the Maddis is a bit of a dumbass. Well, yeah, but the kind of, the sort of explain it at the end, when the Doctor says it that it was a living being, mm. but it was then engineered to be a weapon, to be a weapon essentially. Right. Okay. So, yeah. So it only has a certain degree of sentience. It has. It knows its function, and its function is to feed on psychic energy and cause absolute chaos and basically increase people's violence so they turn on each other. Mm. So that's what it's going to do. And it, then it'll have these defense protocols and all that. So it makes sense by the end of the episode. But as some, as with so much of this two part, in the moment, you're just left confused. Yeah. I've got no problem with story with story points emerging over time and, and then say, oh, that's why that happened. As long as this, when the story points happen, I'm left intrigued and I want to know why it happened. You know, if, you, if you're showing me that there's an explanation on the way, fine. But so often in this, stuff happens. Everybody move on, moves on. And then minutes later, it's just gone, Oh, well, that's why that happened. Or you don't get anything at all. Oh, you don't get anything at all. Yeah. It's... I mean, let, let's just recap briefly. You've got the old guy from the Megadeth album cover turn up. That doesn't really get explained as to why it was an old dude with no top on. That, that, that's, you know, why is he there? Why is that apparition a- occurred at that moment? You've got Manky Face, who can run 100 meters in three seconds. That doesn't get explained. Um, dust, dusty Porridge. That's the porridge, okay. And <laughs> there's just too many of those moments that make me sort of go, okay, well, why why was that that? And why was this this? Well, when you think about it, this whole story is relatively simple. You've got this evil being using this historic reenactment to bring itself, in theory, back to life or wake up to take over what it wants to do. That's that, that. If you really strip it back and boil it down, that's kind of what's going on. All the additional stuff around it makes for, I suppose you're trying to flesh the story out a bit, but you're fleshing it out to a point and then just not finishing off those additional bits, which is quite frustrating. Yeah, it's, it, it's partially fleshed, which basically means that this story is like a rotting zombie. Right. <laughs> the basic the basic framework's there, the skeleton. But then you know you've got a you know a chunk of thigh on there, a, a bit of shoulder, you know a bit a bit of belly and, a, and maybe an eye and a, and a couple of teeth. So it's starting to look human. It's starting to look like a full story. But yeah, it just leaves so much unanswered and unexplained. Like you say, they had, they definitely had more ideas than they were able to execute. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I basically did to sort of sum up now, we're right at the end of the episode, aren't we? Sir George arrives and he's totally possessed by this point. He's like he's fully mm-hmm. invested and, and like he's all about the malice now. He's he, he's completely gone, this dude. Yeah. Ben Ben's coming across like I will fight him if I have to. There's a few angry words, a bit of shouting, and then Will pushes him into the into the crack in the stony face. <laughs> <laughs> but if you hear what he said? When he shoved, because the doctor wanted to avoid Sir George's death. Yes, because that's because he's the doctor. That's what the doctor does. He saves everybody or tries to. And then Ben's obviously saying, you know, pointing a gun at a friend is evidence of the malice. 
uh, did, did you have such feelings before you activated that thing? And Sir George has dropped the guns by this point. Ben goes to stab him, but they all hold him back. Will runs in, yells, you're going to be dead, and push. <laughs> and put, and just shoves Sir George into uh, into old, uh, old Smokey Chop's big face. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Manus is pissed, mind. The Manus is cross, now because it just starts trashing all around it, doesn't it? To sort of, it's like its last, its last objection, because it's dead, but it's taking everything with it, I guess. Yeah, it's the death throws. You know, it wanted um, it wanted chaos for its team, not not Sir George. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's the, the malice effectively destroys itself. Everybody gets in the TARDIS. Um, big, <laughs> I put it in my notes. Big, the church starts collapsing as Big Face has a strop. Um, <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, that's spot on. Yeah, um, and we see uh, we see the church crumbling, and it's it's quite obviously like a miniature version, mm. but it still looks pretty good. Yeah, you know, the yeah. crumbly thing, and we get the big explosion and all the rest of it. I, um, yeah, I quite, I quite like this end, you know, that sort of end little bit. And that's when we get the, um, we get Hamden asking if it was Beast or Machine. And that's when we get the explanation from the doctor that it was, that I said before, a living being re engineered as an instrument of war and sent here. But we also find out that it was sent here to begin an invasion. And they say, well, what went wrong? Why didn't they invade? And the doctor says, I don't know. I must look it up. It's like, oh, fucking brilliant. So it might still happen. Perhaps that was a, a, a sort of taster for a future episode. That just never happened. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it could have been. Or, or it could have been, you know, that may have, that sort of ending for this may have been a sort of fake out. And who knows, the next two parts could have been the Harkoll invading. Mm, yeah. You know, so if it, it's it's, an, it's almost like two two parts shoved together or something like that, or maybe even made into one of the older style six part series. Because, like I say, it was like you said, it was you know conceived for the seventies initially. Yeah. So maybe it was going to be three parts or four, you know, three parts um, malice, you know, awakening build up, and then three parts Harkoll invasion. Who knows? Yeah, I mean I, that does make sense as you explain that. To be honest, so yeah, who knows? Maybe. Um, this whole last scene, though, I mean, we get a, we get some dialogue, and then we get a second section of dialogue after everything's been dealt with, where they you know convince the doctor to stay and hang around for a little bit and so on. But before we get to that bit, which I thought was quite nice, because you know Tegan wants to spend time with her grandfather, and they talk about mm-hmm. a few bits and bobs. It's summed up so quickly. All this stuff has gone on. People have seen demons and um, apparitions and some guy get executed by three different swords and a, uh, someone they know very well possessed and then killed because he's been thrown into a big stone face and all this sort of stuff. They literally just stand there and go, the doctor goes, oh yeah, the malice destroyed itself. And they're all like, oh, jolly good. Cheerio then. It's summed up that quickly and yeah. that kind of, oh, okay, very matter of fact, I suppose. Not not a thought of how they're going to explain the disappearance of the most prominent person in the village slash region around the village. You know, the landowner, Sir George Hutchinson. His, his, his you know, his disappearance will go, will not go unnoticed. Mm. The guy who got executed by the three dudes, you know, must have a family somewhere. Yeah. But they're always going, oh, well, that's that done. Nobody, yeah. you know, I get maybe nobody liked Sir George. But from a practical standpoint, you've still got to think, well, hang on. And also, this is quite a... 
we've got women being kidnapped and stripped and and running through tunnels and all this stuff going on as chaotic as it may be it's still pretty traumatic no mm. one seems to bat an eyelid that this is any of this has happened they're all just in the tardis like oh well that's that then yeah well and no one no one's worried at all ben and uh, and the, the sergeant who threatened tegan they're just like oh well we've got some cleaning up to do water under the bridge old boy yeah it's like no no, I, I don't think so. The malice may have brought out the worst in everybody, but that's still the worst in you, my old son. Yeah, you were still a dick. Yeah, that's obviously there. However much you, re- you know, thank God you do repress it, because uh, Jesus. Yeah, it's it's very odd, very very odd. Um, and then you know they're, just, they're resolving to drop Will in sixteen forty three. Um, I, I do quite like when Tegan asks if they've forgot something. And the doctor just looks at probably, it isn't unusual. I've had a very hard day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like you say, they all decide to to stay there. And, you know, this is they're saying, come on, seven to one in favour of staying a while. And he just looks at I'm being bullied, coerced against my will, and I've had enough for one day. Mm. And then <laughs> Turlo finally finds his voice again and says, um, you know, even if you are a green man, and then basically because he misses the brown liquid they drink here, and Will jumps to the same conclusion that you or I would and asks if he means ale. Yeah, Will's uh, Will should stay and Trello should go, man. <laughs> Imagine Will just like all, all naive, just getting pissed in the corner. Yeah, um, <laughs> battling the Daleks, and he's just sat in a fucking sat by the control panel while his own sick or dying himself. And <laughs> <laughs> just absolutely. Every episode, he's just absolutely written off. <laughs> only, got, only got one shoe for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but, they say, but they say no, he means tea. And then this is where Will would have started getting, started to get, started to grin because what BT? Yeah. All right, Gollum, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Um, and the doctor says a noxious infusion of Oriental leaves containing a high percentage of toxic acid. So ooh, sounds like an evil brew. It's like, yes, but I rather like it. And the whole thing ends with them deciding to go have a cup of tea. Yeah. Which, you know, very British, but not after all it's, that shit. It's, oh, mate. Surely you'd be checking the TARDIS for more, like, creepy lizard things. Yeah, there could be, like, one under your bed or something. Yeah. You know, just scuttling around and spitting, like, green shit everywhere. Oh, imagine if it got in the toilet when you went for a poo. Oh, I bite you right on the arse. With all the greens that slime that I assume to cynic. Yeah. Oh, dear. So, are, are we both in agreement that this was just not massively good? Yeah, it wasn't It wasn't great. It, it's one of those where you can find stuff to, to laugh at. Mm. And you know that there is potential in the story. And there's... To be honest, I think Sir George plays his part really well. He plays a very good bastard. I think Ben plays a good part. Uh, Tegan does well. Miss Hampton does plays a good part. That you know, it, it very much has suffered from the script uh, being cut and and probably from the way it's been probably from the way it's been edited. Yeah. Um, and you know the budget and you know there's some of the I've often said that practical effects age better than special effects. Not in this instance, but again, maybe the the sort of the. Modern t- modern TVs aren't doing any favors, but yeah, it's it's just a bit rushed and ultimately a bit naff. Yeah, 
yeah, I agree. I, I, I can't uh, really add much more to that. I mean, obviously, it's Doctor Who. We love Doctor Who. Oh, we're yeah. Not just, we're not just panning it for the sake of panning it. I still it's went not, back and watched episode one again. Yeah, it's not, it's not like, it's not the, I don't think it's the worst thing we've seen. No. I don't think it's the worst thing we've seen, but at the same time, I don't know if I'd rush back and watch it again. No, it's one, it's something that I'd only watch again if I was doing a full rewatch of, say, of Peter Davison's room, say. Yeah. And it's, it's short enough that you don't feel like you've wasted your time. I yeah, think that's that's, that's that's one thing that's in favour of it. You know, it's fifty minutes, if that. So, it, at least it's done quickly. They just try and cram a lot in, and like I say, this was more an exercise in were the two parters as ropey as they were made out to be online. Mm. And I get the feeling this is going to be something that has a lot of hyperbole surrounding it, and a lot of people. Just go. Oh, they, they were absolutely shit. They were awful. They were, you know, the worst thing ever. Because people remember things like Peter Davison for things like the Caves of Androzani. Yes, which is very good. Which was good. It was very good in a lot of people's minds. This was far from the Caves of Androzani, but it wasn't. Oh, it wasn't Attack of the Cybermen. No, you know, with the with with Colin Baker. It wasn't. It wasn't Survive with Sylvester McCoy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that one, yeah, definitely. I mean, I like Peter Davison as the Doctor. I like yeah. Tegan as well. Tegan's fantastic. Turlow can get in the bin. But I'll, I'll te- <laughs> Tegan's great. It, you're right, 50 minutes, I don't I don't hate it because it's not too long enough. You know, it hasn't taken up too long, you know? However, I wouldn't go back and watch it again, as we said, so. Yeah. It's fair enough, mate. Yeah, well, yeah. Experiment done. I'm glad. I'm glad we watched a, a two-part from this era, uh, just to see how it was. How it was done, really. Um, mm, not well. <laughs> and, and this was. And this this is regarded as one of the better ones. Oh dear. At some stage, we're going to end up watching the other ones. You know what I mean? Thing is, no matter what happens, no matter what we watch, no matter how much garbage we see, nothing will ever be worse than. Love and Monsters that Peter Kay was in, mm-hmm. or the Christmas special that was uh, the Christmas Carol ripoff with Michael Gamble. Okay, they are the two worst things in Doctor Who that I've that I've ever seen. I've seen Love and Monsters. I don't think I've seen that Christmas special. Well, funnily enough, if we get the timing right on season three, we'll be dropping an episode Christmas week. So. Interesting, what, what interesting. Do you, what, do you reckon, what do you reckon, buddy? Yeah, okay, we'll do that one. <laughs> give, our, <laughs> give, ourselves, give ourselves a terrible, terrible Christmas present. Brilliant. Uh, speaking of next season, we are fast approaching, I guess, the end of this season because next week is, I think it's my last pick of season two. Yeah, because we, uh, between us, and admittedly most of the, mostly me, because I was the one trying to figure this out, um, completely asked up the uh, the amount of <laughs> the amount of doctors we had <laughs> and the amount of episodes we were going to do. So yeah, this is size last pick because obviously we've we've got a guest doing uh, doing another doc, doing the, another modern doctor, and I've still got I've still got two to go with a guest for Classico as well. So we're going to be bouncing around a wee bit. Um, apologies for that, folks. I'll try and get my shit together for season three. Um, 
But yeah, I just so, go along with whatever. <laughs> yeah. So where are you taking us, Si? Well, Matt Smith is the only doctor I have left. It's quite well known. I'm not a big fan of the whole Amy Rory dynamic and so on through Matt Smith's era. I know you're going but, to pick a Clara episode. Wow. Funnily enough, I'm going to pick an episode with all of them. Oh, I, would I know like what this to, is going to be. I would like to go and check out Asylum of the Daleks, mate. Yes. Because I remember it being really, really good when I watched it. But this is 10 years old now. I've not seen it since. And, of course, Clara's in it. And we all know how I feel about her. Yep. I can't wait for that. Absolutely love this episode. This was the Asylum of the Daleks was the first episode of season of Amy and Rory's second season, I believe. Um, I did just have it up in front of me, and I got oh, season seven. It says here. Yeah, and I think Amy came in at season six. Okay. So, yeah, there's been so from the end of the previous season, there's been a bit of a time skip. Um, the relationship between Amy and Rory isn't quite the same, and the uh, the Doctor's coming back on the scene after uh, after some time away. So, oh, so there we go. Yeah, it's uh, I, I love this one. I really love it. it it's um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to uh, to watch this again and get into it. We excellent stuff, excellent. And we get the whole, I suppose, Clara turning up before she's Clara and all that sort of nonsense that we can look into as well. Which I'm going to find really interesting because, well, first of all, it's Clara, and secondly, that whole story arc of her turning up at different times. Yeah, I've I already know a moment in this episode where I both love and hate what they do. Okay, we, and it, it involves Clara, right? But we'll uh, we'll get to that next week because I can't decide if it's shit or brilliant. If it involves Clara, let me tell you, mate, I can answer that for you. Uh, so there we go then if you are watching along with us uh, we are revisiting Asylum of the Daleks the Matt Smith story from 2012 it's on the BBC iPlayer if you haven't got the DVDs or or anything like that so you can dive on there and check it out Dan oh an absolute blast mate even though this two part story was a bit ropey around the edges uh, do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you online and all the brilliant shows and content you're involved with yeah, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting about wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date or movies that are 25 years out of date. Uh, you can hear me on Unbooking the Territory. Uh, you can find us on all, on all podcast platforms by searching Unbooking the Territory or UTT Podcast. Uh, we're on Twitter at UTT Podcast, where we look at the first and last of professional wrestling. And uh, follow our side project at UTT Tank, which is Unbooking the Tankatory, where we look at the lives and times the trials and tribulations uh, match by match of the WCW career of Tank Abbott. Uh, currently in sort of the time where Vince Russo and Eric Bischoff were booking uh, WCW together and it is so far beyond anything I ever expected. It's got to a point where they, these, have, these have now become like full episode uh, retrospects and lookbacks because they are that much fun. Yeah. Don't believe, don't, don't have the Mandela effect of WC, all of WCW 2000 was shit. Go and watch oh, yeah, the air for yourself, follow us along, and just see just see how much they put into Tank Abbott. 
it was amazing. It really was. Yeah, I remember bits of it myself. Obviously, we'll be getting there in a few years' time with Nitro Nights as we look at every episode of Nitro in order and so on. So, Scottish Danny and I. But also, aside from Nitro Nights and the Doctor Who pod, what I'd like everyone to do is go and follow the social medias for the network that we appear on, which is SJP World Media. So on Twitter, that is at SJP World Media. And on Facebook, it's SJP World Media, the group there. And that's where you'll find links to all the shows I'm involved in. So Chain Wrestling, Nitro Nights, this show here, the Doctor Who pod with Dan, uh, and the Waiting Room podcast coming back very soon, and a couple of new ones that are popping up as well, as well as content from various other people who who are just like they're making brilliant shows on the network also. So we cover modern day WWE. We're we're covering old classics that everybody is catered for. And if you find something that, you, you know, if you come across something that you think should be catered, that's not, trust me, it's in the works. We're looking at everything on the network. So, yeah, go and check all that a follow at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter. But most importantly, you can find this show on Facebook and Twitter also. That's at the Doctor Who pod. That's at the D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D at the Doctor Who pod. Go and uh, track us down there. And what we're finding out on all of the shows now, it, well, what I'm hoping other people are finding out on all the shows now is... Each new episode will appear on the main SJP World Media feed, and that's each episode of every podcast that's part of the network. So you can dip and dive in and out of what you like and what you don't like, try new shows and so on. They're all there in the order they're released. If you come across something you like, say, for example, this show here, and you want to hear more of this, the whole back catalogue is available on its own stream as well, which is really easy to find via our social medias. So you've got the two options there of checking out everything the network has, or even being more specific and narrowing it down to just certain shows. So hopefully that makes it easy for whichever way anybody wants to do it, Dan, I guess. Yeah, fingers crossed. It's uh, trying to cater to everybody. Uh, so if we, whichever way you want to do it, go for it. I uh, I haven't quite narrowed it down yet because I'm an idiot and I keep forgetting things. So I have everything cropping up on the podcast feed all at once and have to figure out if I've listened to it already or I haven't. So, you know, <laughs> just all I'm saying is be better than me. <laughs> and sort your shit out don't hurt yourself when you're asleep (laughs) (laughs) oh there we go I'm sorry mate I'm sorry it's Uh, it's not the first time it's happened it won't be the last (laughs) so next week Matt Smith and Clara oh yes oh yes do you need a moment alone buddy shall we wrap this up I, mate, I've got a whole afternoon now. We're finishing here. <laughs> <laughs> I'll speak to you next week, Dan. See you later, buddy. Enjoy yourself. I've got a whole afternoon now. We're finishing here. (laughs) (laughs) I'll speak to you next week, Dan. See you later, buddy. Enjoy yourself. As you Uh, must have made yourself into oblivion.
<laughs> oh man, there we. An episode of Torchwood. It's where it's one called Countryside, um, where they think they're hunting aliens, but they're actually hunting a family of cannibals in Brecon okay. Beacons. And everybody's been captured apart, but they think Jack's dead. But obviously he can't die. Mm. And it gets this music and it goes like that. And somebody <laughs> somebody dubbed over it in about 2009. It was written like a Yorkshire accent. So Here he comes in a ruddy great tractor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all that was in my head. Uh. So I, was, I was sat there on the toilet at half four in the morning trying to find this clip. And Just so I could put a tweet out that about three people would understand. Oh, brilliant <laughs> stuff. Hammy bullshit that I love. We, I mean, we said about everyone getting in the TARDIS. They're not quite there yet, are they? Because Turlo and Vardy, uh, the, the soldier is trying to well, break is into that, is, that, is that Jamie or Rebecca? Vardy, yes. Verney. Ver- For fuck's Verney. sake, why can't, I get, why can't I get this fucking thing right? Jesus. <laughs> Ironically, another football link there. This was directed by a guy called Michael Owen Morris, so... Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know who, who Owen Morris played for, but... No, no. I meant Michael... Oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Stop it. Uh, I want to watch the football. Pack it in. <laughs> is, is Owen Morris play? <laughs> yes, yes. Left back for England ladies. Um... <laughs> uh, oh, I can't laugh too much. It hurts my back. That's your own fault for being a mongo when you sleep. <laughs> I have many things, but do not compare me to Mr. McMichael. <laughs> oh, man. So, Turlo and Verney are trying to... They're gonna because the the whole point of the battle is that both the 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 roundheads and, and the cavaliers the, they're both blah, 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 haha. Um, <laughs> the, the two the two regiments destroyed each other. That was the whole point. Yes. Yeah, I think they're probably right on that. To mm. be honest, um, right, dude, I've got to shoot off. Uh, yeah okay so we're back in about 10 15 yeah i'll leave this running because as soon as i log out of it i can't i gotta restart a whole new one so just use the same link and jump back in all right yes well i was just gonna leave my mic on mute and yes yeah on, well, so. that works that works yeah sweet great back in a bit bye bye see ya bye bye i didn't think about being a complete bastard and just setting the uh setting the mic on and just go uh <laughs> Scaring the piss out of me. <laughs> yeah, but the problem is, I um, I slept funny Friday night, and I fucked up one of the muscles that runs across my shoulder blade. Okay. 
I can't breathe in too far because it hurts. Because it hurts. <laughs> Fuck, are you injured yourself while you were asleep? It's not even the first time. <laughs> it's not even the first time with this injury either. Oh my goodness. It's because I fell asleep. I was absolutely shit faced and I just passed out and slept in the same position for about seven hours. Right. I also I dislocated my shoulder in my sleep once as well. How did you manage that? My hand fell down the crack. Uh, well, I don't have a headboard. So my hand fell down between my bed and the wall. And I sleep on my side. So I got, got trapped. I went to roll over that way. Just pop like that as I rolled over. You fucking calamity. <laughs> but then it gets better because I did that, rolled over, and ah, fucking hell, and rolled back over and popped it back in. Yeah, okay, well, that's right then. You fixed yourself. <laughs> Still hurt like a bastard. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Oh, dear me. Best one is you've ever, in your shoulder. Have you ever had a, like a real bad like uh, calf cramp or something like that? Yeah. I was, I was staying at my, parent, my parents' old flat in London. So I was on like a fucking airbed in the living room. And now the airbeds just like deflate and you kind of, it's a real struggle to get out of them because you're kind of stuck. Yeah. I had a leg cramp happen in the middle of the night when I was stuck in this fucking airbed. So right. I couldn't actually get, I couldn't actually get out to like try and stand up to shake out or anything. I just had to lay there and wait for it to pass. Fucking hell, mate. I think you should just stay awake for the rest of your life because something bad always seems to happen. But you know, all this time when I say like my life's a joke and and all the rest of it, yeah, because it's, it's fucking true. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Okay, whilst you're off doing your driving, I'll uh, figure out what I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got about 10, 15 minutes. So that's worked out spot on, look. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. more, time, more time than you put into your uh, chain wrestling picks. Mate, honestly, the amount of times we go live and I've not done that. <laughs> it's it's like me picking my, um, uh, my beer recommendations for UTT. Yeah. I just forget. This week we went live, and obviously the Hall of Lame is like early in the show, isn't it? Yeah. And we were we were literally going through the chat for the first time before I went. Fuck, I ain't got one. <laughs> and the segment is like that segment of the show is like in two minutes time. So I was literally making my last couple of notes for the Hall of Lame as Magsy was playing the intro music to that segment. You never. That's know. like that's like professional. I am, mate. <laughs> You and me both, buddy, to be honest. Uh, like I say, all the beer recommendations, I'm there, like, chatting away, you know, looking looking at my camera, just like, yeah, yeah, and I'm, like, you kept, like, just down here, I'm, like, just scrolling untapped, just, like, give me fucking something. <laughs> Amazing. This is all going on the end of the episode, the show, just how much of a pair of fucking morons we are. 